Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty explained Wednesday night. The thing about going live streaming like on a Wednesday night, I can do a series like this because I know a lot of people watch by live streaming. And then also we can continue it here Sunday morning. But if you were not here with us, if you didn't watch it by live streaming, then just a quick review about what we talked about. But we're talking about one of the very important subjects of the Bible. Remember, the, the ministry of the church is not to, to get people caught, but also to get them taught. Thank God we can get them caught, which means get them saved, but we've got to get trained in the things of God. We've got to get the lost saved, but the saved, we've got to get established in the things of God, then trained, and then also sent out to do the work that God calls them to do. So number one, we talked about the fact that people have an erroneous view of the sovereignty of God. And what they believe actually is this, that God can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, if he wants, because he's God. Well, there's a partial truth to that. We're going to explain that in better detail as we go on with this. But he's not in control of everything all the time, and they think that he is. He's in control of everything that takes place on the planet, and we're going to show you that's an erroneous mentality. Secondly, if you look to your dictionary, uh, let's say, definition of sovereignty, sovereign, what does it mean? Well, it means he's supreme. It means he's powerful. It also means that he's independent. He doesn't depend on anybody else. We know that he's excellent. God's all those things. And there's no question about that. But you notice it doesn't say controlling in there, that he's controlling what everybody does and whatever happens on the earth. Okay, thirdly, we talked about the fact in his sovereignty, since he is sovereign and we know that he is, then he has established boundaries for everything he has created. Starting with angels, he established boundaries. Don't cross over. Well, he crossed over. Lucifer crossed over, did he not? And he suffered the consequences, didn't he? He established boundaries for man. He said to man, don't eat the fruit of the tree. If you do, you'll die. Well, what happened to man? He crossed over the boundaries that God established for his existence. The third thing we said, which probably blows a lot of people away, is this. He established boundaries for himself. You realize that? He established boundaries for himself. Why? So we could trust him. If he could step out beyond those boundaries, we can't have faith in him. He'll do whatever he wants then. We'll explain that further as we go along in this lesson. But then also he established boundaries for nature. Did you know that? I didn't bring that up last week, but I thought I would today. Look at Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 20 through 22. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. Look at this. Have you no respect for me? Whew. What a statement. Why don't you tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, define. This is God. This isn't Webster. It's not his definition. This is God's. I define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting what? Boundary that the waters cannot pass. He established a boundary. The waves may toss and roar, but they can never pass the boundaries I set. Do we believe that this morning? Amen. Let a hurricane come. The water's going to go back. 
doesn't matter what, they're going to go back. Why? Because he defined the shoreline as a boundary he established for nature so the waters can't cross over. Now notice this. You realize that if he wanted to, but he can't do it because of the, uh, Noah's promise. How deep is the deepest ocean? Miles down, right? All he'd have to do is push it up. Where would the water go? Cover the whole earth again. Like that. But you see, he's not going to do that because he made a promise. So he's found himself, and we'll get more into that. But as we continue our study, look at John chapter 8. He is the creator. He has the right to govern his creation. He is sovereign. He has the right to establish laws, establish boundaries, and do whatever he wants to do. And we know that. But that has to be qualified, and we're going to do that. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you're my disciple. Indeed, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. We, we want to know the truth. We need to know the truth. There are different Greek words when it comes to knowledge and it comes to knowing that's translated you know, into English. One uh, is oida. Oida. Oida is one. Gnostos is another, and Gnosko is another. But just quickly to give us a better understanding of what we're about to share with you, let's, go, let's start with Gnostos. That's talking about facts. For example, two plus two is four. Where did you learn that? You go to a book, a math book, you learn about that. Science book, you learn about science, whatever. You learn that those are facts of knowledge that you glean light from as you study those. You can read the newspaper and learn some information as well. It's talking about gathering facts. That word knowledge, that word no, Oida. Then you've got Gnostis, Gnostis, uh, I'm sorry, Gnostis, Oida is another one, it talks about perception. Did you ever observe something and you perceive something by that observation? You perceive something. That's that word, that's what it means. Well, this word, you shall know the truth, and this is so key. This word is a word that means you shall enter into an experience or have a relationship with the truth. And you've heard me share this before about, for example, electricity. You can be book smart. You can have knowledge. You can go academically and understand a lot about electricity. But that's not what it's talking about. You can observe. How many of you saw what took place in Texas and in, in some of the other places from the storm? Did you see the one where the you could actually see the electricity flowing from wire to wire? Did you see that one on? Oh my goodness! It's just you could actually see it. You can observe. It was just going right down the wire. It's just a big ball of a flashing light. It was unbelievable. And took out all the power lines and, and everything else. Observation. So you can have facts, you can have observation. But that's not the word either. Gnosko, you shall know the truth, means touch that hot wire. And let it light you up. Your hair is going to go straight up in the air. Your fingernails are going to turn black. Now you know electricity. Okay? There's someone that kind of challenged me <clears throat> to have pizza at this particular place. Okay? Hey, the only way I can know it, if it's better than Wedgwood, <laughs> the only way I can know it is to taste it. Right? I can know about the ingredients, but it doesn't mean I know it. I only know it when I enter into it. When I put it in my mouth, I taste it. You can know all the ingredients to a cake that you bake or whatever, but that's not it. Just because you know it doesn't mean those facts mean you've tasted it. That's why the Bible said, taste and see the Lord is good. Taste and see the Lord is good. 
enter into. So it's not just knowing about him. It's not knowing the facts of redemption. It is entering into and actually experiencing it. And that's what we want to talk about. This is so important. Because if people have an improper understanding of what sovereignty is all about, it will be detrimental to their faith life. It will create all kinds of different things. And so we've listed some things here for us so that we can look them over and better understand how we need to have the proper view of God's sovereignty. So, number one, we see here, if you have an improper view, it's going to create confusion. Look in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Look at what it says. We want to know the truth. We want to enter into the truth. We want to experience the truth. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What's he talking about? We're living in that time right now. Right now, light is dark and dark is light. Good is evil and evil is good. And we could name a bunch of things today in our society that really defines all this. But let me just start with this. What took place in Texas, many insurance companies will say that was an act of God. No, it wasn't an act of God. But they'll say it was an act of God. It was an act of nature, but not an act of God. Okay? So they won't pay because it was an act of God. That's calling it the wrong way. God was not in control of that storm. God was not in control of, what, Dallas getting 10 inches of snow? He wasn't in control of 18 degree weather down there where they, they, can't, they don't expect that. And many people have suffered immense uh, suffering as a result of it. Don't call evil good and good evil. God is not the author of that. God did not do that. People say, well, things happen for a reason. Well, that wasn't a good reason. And God wasn't in control of it. But people will say, you know, God's in control. Whatever happens, happens for a reason. So all that stuff is going on, that's happening. And they attribute it to God. And it's not God who is involved in that. And we're going to show you that as we go along. But it creates confusion. Well, how about this one? I don't know why this is the easiest thing for us to understand, but yet for some reason, there's a blockage there. God made me sick because he wants to teach me a lesson. Okay, I'm going to see the confusion. But I go to a doctor to get better and take medicine to get better. Oh, let's say that again. God wants me sick to teach me a lesson. Have you learned anything yet? No, not yet. I'm going to a doctor to get better. Why? Why? That's confusion. I told you about the girl last week that she, her baby died. And all the, even Pentecostal pastor says, God wanted another flower in heaven. And so she said, then I will never serve him another day of my life. If he killed my baby, I will never serve him another day in my life. That's confusion. She came to see me and I said, uh-uh, they're wrong. God's not the author of death. He's the author of life. He did not steal your baby, didn't take your baby. Besides, he is love. And that would be the most selfish act I could ever think of. That God who will have that child for an eternity had to come and snuff its life out right here as an infant. Are you kidding me? How selfish can God be? I need another flower in heaven. No, he doesn't. He's got enough flowers in heaven. He doesn't need another flower in heaven. That child deserved to live and have a life. So there's confusion there. Well, didn't God do it? No, he did not do it. But people think that way. It might be more comforting, they think, to think that. But it's not the truth. 
And so when we have a misunderstanding of the sovereignty of God, thinking that, well, if God wants to take that baby's life, let him do it. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's confusing. Number two, it creates distance. Distance. You know, you have a relationship with him. And the, the relationship is supposed to get closer and closer, not create more distance and distance. Well, think about it. Who would want to get closer to a God who inflicts suffering and pain upon his people? Who? Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, 9 through 11. Or, what man is there of you, whom if his son asked bread, would he give him a stone? If he asked fish, would he give him a serpent? If he asked them, if, if you then being evil can give good gifts to your children. Everybody say those next three words with me. How much more... Shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them who ask Him? What's He comparing? He's comparing Himself to like a natural earthly Father who, who is on the inside of Him programmed to do good things for His children. But we want to say that God is worse than a natural man. God wants only good things for us. That's why Jesus came. Only God is good. And he said that. Why would I want to draw closer to a natural earthly Father who just beats me all the time? It creates distance. And so if I think God's behind my evil, behind my pain and suffering, I'm not going to draw closer to him. Why do you think James said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this to try and give faith works patience. Let patience have a perfect work, that you could be perfect and entire wanting nothing. And let no man say when he's tempted, tested, and tried that God is the author of it. Don't be misled, he said. Don't be deceived. It's not God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. None of that evil stuff. I'm not going to draw closer to a God who wants to destroy me. No one is. But you know what? If I know he loves me, and he's looking out for my best interest, and he wants to bless me and help me every day of my life, I'm drawn to that, aren't you? Now, I'm not saying he's not a God of justice and judgment. Anything that happens where a person has been judged and evil comes on them was not God's will for that person's life. It was judgment. So he has to judge people if they don't turn from the air of their way. But God is a loving Heavenly Father who loves his kids more than we do. And he'll do anything and everything to bless us in this life. Next, the third thing is, it creates victims. It creates victims. Hey, I don't want to be a victim of all his anger, all his wrath, all this evil. Yeah, God, people are probably saying things like, that happened down in Texas because there's so much evil going on down there that God had to do all this. Or that God is evil and God did all that. And there's a reason for it. That's ridiculous. And we're going to give you the reason in just a moment, but God's not the author of it. It creates victims. That woman I'm telling you about who lost her baby became a victim of an awful God who she thought killed her baby. So she's a victim of that kind of a God and said, I don't want to serve him any longer. Well, in order for us then to change all that, God would have to change and not be that kind of a God. But you know what? Malachi 3, 6, what does it say? For I'm the Lord, I change not. Therefore, sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am the Lord, I change not. He's talking about, he's established himself in Scripture. He's revealed himself to us. That's how he is. He is love. He is light. There's no darkness at all in him. It's absolute love, absolute life. No darkness at all. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. There's no changing in that. He doesn't change. If you recall when, um, way back in, Gen in Exodus 32, I believe it is, when he, Moses was up on Mount Sinai, and you recall that story? 
when um, he said, you better get down there because, you know, the people that are down there, your people that you brought out of Egypt, they're down there doing bad things. Right? He said, look, look, look what they're doing down there. And he's going to judge them. He wants to kill them, raise up a new nation under uh, Moses. And what does Moses say? Don't you pawn that off on me. They're your kids. You brought them out. You did it. Okay? Don't, don't. I don't want to have any more kids. I've had enough kids. So no new nation under me, buddy. Mm -mm, mm -mm. And so what did God do? He repented. And even though he had a right to judge them because they violated the Abrahamic covenant, guess what? Abraham didn't violate the covenant. They did, and God had mercy on them because Moses interceded for them. So the point is, God doesn't, he, he doesn't even like the death of the wicked. Do you realize that? It makes that very clear in Scripture. He's against the death of the wicked. We're not victims of his meanness and evilness. Number four, it creates also theological contradictions. Think about this one. And for some reason, we don't use our brain when it comes to studying Scripture. You've got to have an overview of all the Bible and understand Revelation comes progressively from the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation. New Testament has more light than the Old Testament. You know why there's a sun and a moon? Because one, the moon represents the Old Testament. The sun represents the New Testament. There's greater light. We, we have to see it that way. And so, uh, you know, we understand that it creates contradictions because, listen to this, in Matthew's Gospel, what is it, chapter 6 and verse 10, where the Lord's Prayer is? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Wait a minute. If God is sovereign, and sovereignty means he can do what he wants, when he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, because he's God and he's sovereign. Well, guess what? Then everything on earth that's happening is his will. If he's that way. Then why did Jesus say, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done? Apparently his will's not being done. And he wants his will to be done. On earth as it is where? You think that there's 10 inches of snow in heaven? You think there's power lines down in heaven? You think there's tornadoes in heaven? Hurricanes, earthquakes, and the like in heaven? Well, he said, pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Well, that would be a theological contra contradiction that if, if what's happening is the will of God, if it's happening for a reason and it's the will of God, God's in control of it all, why would I pray against his will and say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done? And there's many more, but that's just a contradiction. And then finally, it, it also does what? Creates something else, a distorted view of God. A distorted view of God. In John's Gospel, chapter 1, look at verse 18 from the Amplified. This is the AMPC, which is the, um, the, 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 the first one, the, the classic Amplified Bible. No man has seen God at any time, except Andrew, he's... Song Jesus. The only unique son or the only begotten God, right, true? You saw Jesus, right? He just told me the other day, I just vividly remember sitting with Jesus and him telling me all the things that he told me. Bless his heart. And I want to sit back and say, I've been serving you for 41 years as a pastor. I've been doing this. And, and he's 14 hours old and you talk to him. Never mind. We won't. The only unique son, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, in the intimate presence of the Father, he has declared him, he has revealed him, and he's made him known, and he's made him to be known, 
among us. Okay, that's what he did. He came to reveal the very heart of God. He came to show who God is. So Jesus basically said this. If you've seen me in John 14, verse 9, you've seen who? Jesus said to him, I've been so long time with you, and yet have you not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. How then sayest thou, show us the Father? So here's this. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. So when people say, well, go back into the days of Job. Go back and look. Wait a minute. We're missing something here. You want to know what God is like? Go to the Gospels and look at Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And you know what? Jesus showed the Father's and shared the Father's heart with us in such a way to make us realize just how much God loves us. Jesus was compassionate, caring, loving, and forgiving, and merciful everywhere he went. He helped anyone and everyone, no matter what they were going through. He was always there to help. He was not condescending. He was not unforgiving. He was not uh, mean toward anybody. He was not demoralizing. He was not humiliating. He was not doing anything that would be detrimental to a person's emotional or even mental well-being. Jesus, when he walked upon this earth, walking on a storm, during a storm, walking out on the water, was concerned about their well-being and brought peace and calm to the storm. Anywhere, everywhere he was, no matter who was with him, no matter what he was doing, he dropped it all to help that person. When the woman with the issue of blood came to him and told all the truth, what had happened to her, and Jabez was there waiting for him to go visit his daughter who was dying, and they finally came and said that she's dead, don't trouble the master any further. He said, stop right there, don't believe that, only believe. Be not afraid, only believe, he said. He wasn't too busy for anybody. How would you like to have him walking by your funeral possession and he just walks over to the casket and says, young man, let's get out of here. And he did. He did. So what kind of a picture do we paint of Jesus? Is he someone who's uh, destroying people? Is he destructive? No. Is he humiliating? No. Is he controlling? Is he manipulative? No. None of that. He's loving, caring, compassionate, merciful, forgiving, helping. That's all. When you want to see Jesus, want to see God the Father, look at Jesus. That's what he said. Look at me. So to have a proper view of his sovereignty, we got to go to the scriptures and see what they say. So let's do that. Look here in Psalm 115 and look at verse 3. And this is from the NASB, New American Standard Bible. But our God is in the heavens. Look at this. He does whatever he pleases. Now, wait a minute. Stop right there because you see those that are the proponents of he's in control of everything. He does what he wants, when he wants, etc., etc. Let's put this in perspective. God does what he pleases, right? Well, did you ever look up and see what it pleased him to do? Okay, well, let's do that. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. This is from the New Living Translation of the Bible. You ready for it? God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So he who does anything and everything he pleases, what did it please him to do? 
Make man in his image and likeness and give him what? Authority to reign over all of his creation. Did he do that? That's what it pleased him to do. So in his sovereignty, he gave man complete authority on the earth. Number two, uh, look at Psalm 8. This pleased him also. Look at verse 4 to 6. And this is, once again, the New Living Translation. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Human beings that you should care for them. Yet you made them only a little lower than God. Crown them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. Wow. Does God do whatever he pleases? Well, what did he do? He put everything he made under the authority of man. Right? Is that what it said? That's what he did. Okay. Now, look at Psalm 115, verse 16. And again, this is from the New Living. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. Wow. He who can do as he pleases was pleased to make man... And put him in a position where he would reign over the earth under him. So we are under God, his under rulers on the earth, having dominion over all the works of his hands. But there's one catch. There's a boundary. Look in Genesis chapter 2 and verses 15 through 17. Here's the boundary. Remember, he made boundaries for, for Lucifer and he crossed over and he was sentenced. Number two, he made man and he did the same thing. God and the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And God and the Lord God's commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat, freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou shalt eat thereof thou shalt surely what? Die. So did he set a boundary? Yes, he did. So a man had liberty to reign over all the creative things of God, including he could have kept the devil out, but he didn't. He didn't use his authority as he should have. And as a result, the devil got in through their thought life, and as a result, he lost his authority. And so now he crossed over the boundaries that God established for his existence, and now he is subject to the powers of darkness. That's what happened. God did not do that, and God said to all of them, he said, look, to the, to the man he said, the ground is cursed for your sake. To Eve, you're going to have a curse on you when you bear children and so on. And to the devil himself, the snake, he said, you're going to be on the ground in the dust, reveling in the dust for the rest of your existence. Right? So now we have boundaries that have been established, but been violated by angels and also by even man. So, where do we go from there? He lost his authority, Satan became the god of this world. So, what it pleased God to do was that. Now, look at this next part of this. There are other forces at work in the earth other than God. Did you know that? God's not the only force at work in the earth today. There are other forces. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And this is, of course, the powers of darkness who we believe usurps Adam's authority, took it over, and became known by Jesus as the prince of the power of the air and by Paul, the God of this world. But who taught Paul the gospel? Jesus. And whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So now we see something happening here. We've got the devil at work in the earth with Adam's authority, 
And what's he using it to do? To blind people's mind, to deceive people, to give them a wrong picture of God, a wrong perception of God, so that they don't understand who's doing what. And when preachers are telling you that God needed a, another flower in heaven and you believe that, you've been deceived by the devil himself. I'm sure that pastor is very sincere and meaningful, but it's not true. It's the truth that makes us free, knowing the truth and entering into it. God does not kill babies. He just doesn't do that. Why does it happen? Because of sin that came into the world. There are birth defects. We understand that there are germs because of sin, because of what Adam and Eve did. The curse came upon all humanity. God didn't do that. He said, you did that, Adam, not me. Lucifer did his thing, and as a result, we have evil in the world. Now, there's another force at work that sometimes we overlook, and that's why they attribute it to God. But look at Romans chapter 8, and look at what it says. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the, son, of the children of God. Now, what is that telling us? We know that the whole earth is under a curse. All of nature is under a curse. That's why there's earthquakes. That's why there's tornadoes. That's why there's all these catastrophic, catastrophic events that take place on the planet. Not because God's doing it, but because the nature is under a curse. All of creation is under a curse. The animal kingdom, the vegetable kingdom, ecological, everything is under a curse. That's why the thing that really gets to me is this global warming. Tell that in Texas right now. Global warming, yeah, it's 18 degrees. It better globally warm. We want it here, don't we? Think, here, here's the point. They can't believe in God. Because no man will destroy this world that God created. He doesn't have the ability to do it. He doesn't have the power to do it. God stands behind it. The only time this world's going to be changed is when He, by fire, renovates it. That's it. And you get a new heavens and a new earth, right? So let's just focus on the truth. War's not going to come to an end like people think, not that way. But we have now creation subject to earthquakes, tsunamis, tornadoes, catastrophic events, floods, and it goes on and on. Not an act of God, an act of nature under the curse that took place. And that's why we have the weather conditions that we have, etc. Okay, in Genesis chapter 4, we've got another creature at work on earth. And who is that? Hmm. Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. Who's that creature at work in the earth? You've got the devil at work, you've got nature at work, and now you've got man at work in the earth who didn't control his emotional feelings, and what did he do? He kills his brother as a result of it. Was that God? It, 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 everything happens for a reason. Well, the only reason I can see here is death. There was no good reason that came out of that. Jealousy and envy, okay, was the force behind all that. So now you've got all these forces at work in the earth. And if we say that God and his sovereignty is behind all this, it's ridiculous. He's not in control of all that. Look in the book of uh, Psalms. I'm sorry, wait a minute. No, look in the book of Hebrews chapter 6, because this is what I really want to get to. We're just getting started. I'm teasing, I'm almost done. When you say something like, no, God can't do everything, they look at you like, what? What? What do you mean God can't do everything? Well, there's some things God can't do. Number one, he can't lie. 
Number two, he can't break a promise. Number three, he can't flood the earth again, ever, 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 ever. Flood the earth ever again. You realize that? And you just, you hear it, you know it, but you don't put it all together. Let's read the verse. God also bound your mother-in-law with an oath. What translation do you have? Who did he bind? Someone said his mother-in-law. Bound who? Wait a minute. Did I read that right? God bound who? Really? I can understand he set up boundaries for the devil, or for for angels first, then for man, nature, but he bound himself? Yeah. Read it. He bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. Why? These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence or faith as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for the soul. Boy, do we need that. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Did you hear that? What that's saying is this. God bound himself, bound himself. I will not operate beyond these boundaries in my dealing with mankind. I just won't do it. I won't change. You can trust me. You can believe me. If I said I will deliver you, then I will deliver you. If I said I would help you, then I will help you. If I said I would uphold you, then I will uphold you. If I said I would provide for you, then I will provide for you. If I said ask and I'll forgive you, then I will forgive you. If you want saved, ask me. I will save you. He can't say, well, I was only kidding. I'll save you, but not you. Listen, good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Bad people don't go to hell because they're bad. They go, they go to hell because they don't believe in Jesus and refuse to accept Him and His salvation. Not because they're bad. Okay. God made a promise. He made an oath. Why? So you and I can take it all the way to the inner sanctuary, to the throne of God, and say, God, you said you would bless me. You said I'm already blessed. Here I am. You said you'd give me grace. I want grace this morning. You know, when you go to God for forgiveness, don't leave without grace. Okay, come boldly to the throne of what? Grace to obtain two things, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Mercy, forgive me. Don't look at me. Look at his perfection, not mine. Have mercy upon my soul. I missed the mark, but praise God. I'm so thankful that you're not, you know, looking just at me. You're looking at your son who is perfect. So have mercy upon me. Don't give me what I deserve. Give me what he deserves. Grace, when I leave this place, provide the power I need never to do it again in my life. Grace, empower me. So don't just get the mercy, get the grace too. So I can't go in his throne and just say, well, I want mercy and grace. And he says, well, I was just kidding. I'm not going to do that. No, no. Look at Psalm 89, verse 34 through 37. Just to show us, this is how faith comes. You can't have faith if God in his sovereignty can change as the wind. You can't. No, I will not break my covenant. I will not take back a single word I said. I have sworn an oath to David. In my holiness, I cannot lie. His dynasty will go on forever. His kingdom will endure as the sun. It will be as eternal as the moon. My faithful witness in the sky. 
as faithful as the witness in the sky, the sun, the moon doing their things. He says, you can count on me. You can depend upon me. I will not change one word that I said that I would do for anyone. Look at the next in Numbers chapter 23. And there's a lot to be said here if you put it all together. How shall I curse whom God hath not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? When he wanted to put a curse on the people of God, he said, I can't do that. Look at the next. Verses 19 through 20. God's not a man that he should lie. Not a son of man that he should repent. If he said it, he'll do it. Shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken? Shall he not make it good? Behold, I've received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I, you listen, cannot reverse it. He was so frustrated. He wanted to, but he couldn't. So what is he saying? If God blessed you, you can't be cursed. Has he blessed you? When these people tell you you've got a generational curse, no, you don't. You only have it if you accept it and say it. You only have it if you say, I agree to it. What you should be declaring is, I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I cannot be cursed. I'm going to say it again. I cannot be cursed. Say it with me. I cannot be cursed. I've been blessed. You've been blessed. We can't be cursed. So don't accept a curse. Because if you do, then it's because of what you've allowed. What you allow be allowed, what you disallow be disallowed. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? So I'm not, I'm not accepting it. I refuse to accept it. Praise God. Now, he's not a man to lie, nor a son of man to repent. If he said it, you can bank on it. Look at the next. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. Even though God in his sovereignty has established all these things, do you realize that man can disregard what God's established? You could disregard his will. The Lord's not slack concerning his what? Promise. As some men count slackness, but his long-suffering to us were not willing that any, how many should perish? None. But that all should come to repentance. Is that the will of God? Does he want all men to come to him? Does he want anyone to perish? Well, how come it's not happening if God's in control? How come it's not happening if he is sovereign and his sovereign will is always done and everything happens on the earth happens for a reason? See, that, that's, that's really, it's, it's the wrong mentality. It's not having a true understanding of what it's all about. God does not want one person to enter eternity without Jesus. He doesn't want one person to spend eternity in the lake of fire. He does not want that at all. But that's not being done. Why? Because people have the case that asada attitude. If he wants to save me, he'll save me. If he doesn't want to save me, he won't save me. I guess I'll find out when I... Really? Don't wait till then. It's kind of late to wait that long. He wants to save you. He saved you by his grace. He sees you saved by the blood of Jesus. All you have to do is accept it like the young man did here today. Just accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that's how you make heaven. Not your performance, but his performance. So, if his will was being done on earth, then everybody would be saved. Remember King Agrippa? Here's the verse. Then Agrippa said to Paul, Almost thou hast persuaded me to be a Christian. Almost. Does he have a choice? Does he have a will? Absolutely. Could he choose to step beyond the boundaries if he wants to? Absolutely. All right. Look in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Today, I have given you the choice between, notice I've given you the choice, between death and life and death, blessing and cursing. Now I call heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. What's his choice? Life. Life. 
Well, if God is sovereign and his choice is life, why isn't that enforced in everybody's life? Why isn't everyone else choosing life? Because they have a choice. And there's other forces in the earth that's at work in the earth. So it's up to the individual to make the right choice. In his sovereignty, God left it up to us. All right. James chapter 4, verse 7 basically says the same thing. That um, submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. What does that speak of? A choice. I could surrender to God or I could resist God. I could surrender to the devil or I could resist the devil. I've got a choice. It's up to me to make my choice. So the better way to look at his sovereignty, God can do what he wants, when he wants, if he wants, however he wants. If you want to look at it that way and say this, add this to it. And what did he want? He wanted to create beings, establish boundaries, give them dominion and authority over all the works of his hands and have them run things down here on earth by his supervision and carry out ministry for him. The main one being reconciliation so that his purposes would be fulfilled in the earth. So he did exactly what he wanted to do. He established covenants, promises to limit himself so that man would know you can trust him. That's what he did. He did that. And he cannot change that. And why? Look at the look at these verses. Look at the first second Corinthians chapter one, verse 20. Until you see it this way as the NIV. See, this this just gives you a, a little different perspective. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are what? You ever hear the person that says, you, know, you never know what God it could be. Yes, it could be. No, it could be. Maybe where it could be. Wait. Not with a promise. Let's read that again. No matter how many promises, no matter how many they are, God has made. They are what? Yes. What are they? Yes. Does it matter how many there are? What's the answer? He says what? To the promise. Okay. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Who says amen to the promise? What's that saying? God says, yes. But what do we say? Do we say amen, so be it? Do we say I accept it and receive it? Or do we just sit back and just say, well, whatever God wants, you know, whatever God wants. No, no, it's not how it works. He said the promise, you say the amen. God, this is what you said. I'm saying amen to it in my life. And what is the end result? Malachi 2.15. What is the end result to be? Here it is. My covenant was with him of life and peace. There it is right there. To give life and peace. And I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me and was afraid before my name. God wants us to reverence him in such a way as he said in the beginning with even his creation. Do you not fear me? Do you not know I set a boundary for the sea and the water shall not pass over? And do you not know if I were to even change that for a moment, you'd be flooded, you'd be destroyed? Why won't you fear me and have reverence for who I am? When I make a promise, I hold true to my word. I don't change. I'm a God of integrity. You can bank on it. You can believe in it. Praise God. That's how faith really comes in the life of a believer. You believe God's integrity and he can't change. Let's all stand together before the Lord.